Hello, I'm Daniel Prusilides. Welcome to The Long Way, a podcast of short episodes with long perspectives on building the common good. There are many memorable lines from the movie The Princess Bride, but one that sticks out in my mind is this one. You keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. The word in question? Feminist. The federal government has introduced its first budget in two years, calling it a feminist budget, especially because of its promised national daycare system. But that feminist label doesn't make sense to one of the featured guests on this episode of The Long Way. I find it slightly patronizing that we focus our attentions on the mothers of young children. That's that's where this is going to start. The system is going to start building for kids six and under. I'm confident of that. And I, I find it insulting that we focus on mothers of young children as being the key new contributors to the economy when they have so much Um, work on their plates already. That's Andrea Mrozik, a senior fellow in family research at Cardus, the plucky little think tank that puts on this podcast. Our other guest is Brian Dykema, vice president of external affairs here at Cardus. Together, we'll analyze the key parts of what we could call the Princess Bride budget, including the cultural questions that it raises. Thank you both for joining me on The Long Way, the Federal budget, of course, is a huge document to go through, but there are, you know, two major issues as far as Cardis is concerned uh, in that budget. Although maybe we won't limit our conversation just to those those things, but um, which, of course, are childcare and uh, charities. But let me just go to to both of you, Andrea. Maybe starting with you, just get a quick take on how you would characterize this federal budget? Well, naturally, I've been very much focused on the childcare aspect, and it is a terrible budget, in a word. Um, Really very disappointing to see the advent, we think, at this time. It's not a sure thing, but the advent of national daycare. Um, Lots of things we can get into detail on, the funding level, Um, the level of quality we see in this kind of system, the economics of it and how it distorts the natural ecosystem of care. Um, But it's terrible on all those fronts. It's really a tough one to see as a win for Canadian families. Brian, what's your quick take? Well, on um, I'll give one uh, one good take uh, and one bad. I'll start with the goods. That um, the Canada workers' benefit is something that um, uh, is adds a bit of incentive to those who are uh, in looking to uh, have greater participation in the labor force. It's a good policy. It's one that understands the benefits of work, not just the financial but the non-financial benefits of work. And so the enhancement of that is actually a very very positive thing. I think this is one of the uh, lesser appreciated and one of the better things in this budget. And it's also um, another example of something that there has been sort of long-term bipartisan consensus on between the previous government and this one. I think that's a good thing. Um, So I'm going to say, start with something good. Um, Something that was, I think, absolutely and totally missing from this is uh, any support for the charitable sector. Um, We were involved in an initiative that was looking for the Canadian government to um, motivate and incentivize Canadians to give. Many Canadians had 
um, have actually done pretty well financially, white collar workers, office workers, many of whom didn't lose their jobs and have actually been saving quite a bit of money and have a bit of, quite a bit of cash. We were looking for the government to uh, find ways to enable people to give more of that. And, and, and frankly, um, when you see a budget where the venture capitalists uh, receive twice as much as charity, it's hard to call that one a winner. Okay. So overall, a pretty, well, it's a pretty negative take, but you know, you got to call a spade a spade. Let's start off with probably the the item that's received the most media attention anyway, which is $30 billion over five years for a national daycare system uh, of some sort. Um, Andrea, you, you said it wasn't a done deal in your initial comments. And so I'm wondering if, I guess your feeling is that the ship hasn't actually sailed on this issue, that things are not completely settled are they well i mentioned also it's a political issue and this was some some have called it an election budget so that it's already in campaign mode and this is a basically the liberals election pitch to canadians canadian families so um one thing could happen is that the conservatives could adopt a really good counter policy and canadians would vote for that and we wouldn't go forward with national daycare because the government would change um the other aspect that could cause um more than a ripple of um, or just stop the program or cause problems is the the interaction that's supposed to happen with the provinces. So this is a federal intrusion into provincial jurisdiction and what the feds need to do is convince the provinces to sign on. Um, this is an extremely risky proposition for the provinces and let's remember we're in the middle of a pandemic and none of the provinces are doing um, you know sailing by economically with tons of money in the bank um, the proposition they have before them now is to accept the money now uh, over the next five years, but then risk that no more comes and they're on the hook for provision of a very, very complex and expensive program in their provinces. So um, I think that could be a tough sell. And we're already seeing that some provinces have balked and said this doesn't work. And now the latest is that the feds are going to tailor the program to each province in an attempt to get them in. But if I were a provincial leader at this time, I would be very skeptical about how this is going to go into the medium term future, especially after the five years is up. What would you say, though, is, you know, the core argument, the core cultural argument here with regard to to child care in Canada? Because you've seen and, and read and heard the media coverage uh, of this issue, and most of it overwhelmingly accepts that child care is an economic tool. It's presented in that way, and it's that, that's the sales pitch, that it's, a, that it's an economic tool. Uh, it's a tool of Canadian, you know, Canada's economic recovery, that that sort of thing. I know you don't think about it in those terms. Cardis does not think about it in those terms. Why? You know, I've been doing a little bit less childcare commentary because I've been doing childcare. So I have a two-year-old and I work half-time. And every morning I get the delight of being with my daughter. And childcare is the care of a child no matter who does it. 
Um, and across the country, we have an existing ecosystem of care. Am I going to claim that it's perfect? No, there are problems and they're usually pretty local. So guess what? The federal system isn't going to be able to fix those. But um, we do have an existing ecosystem of care, a great deal of diversity, and we have a lot of moms, dads, family members, extended family, um, local home-based care, friends, um, uh, home daycares, et cetera. Centers, of course, are there too. It's just a lot going on in the childcare sector. And when you take this really limited view of childcare, and that's what this program is, is the um, licensed sector and the not-for-profit sector, um, and jump in on that, and it, it's only one form of care the vast majority of Canadians don't use. So I, I really like to look at this as a cultural issue and a child issue. And the fact is that there has been unending rhetoric around the economics of it, which causes me terrible consternation over how children are going to be treated in this system because they are a clear second. Um, and we're all supposed to be applauding the fact that this is a model based on Quebec. And when I look at the research, peer-reviewed research out of Quebec, what I see is a very troubling outcome for our kids. Um, the vast majority of Canadian kids are not going to benefit from this because they're getting better care where they are right now. It's typically only targeted populations who benefit from some uh, child care intervention. And what we're going forward on is a universal program on economic benefits. It's extremely short-sighted, though, um, when we look at the research out of Quebec and how uh, children becoming adults have fared after 20 years of a provincial daycare system there. So no, it's not an economic issue. Um, it's a it's a cultural one. It's a community one, and it's a it should it should be a child focused one. Can, can I, I have the yeah? Go I, ahead, uh, Brian. Sure. Yeah. 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 Just to jump in on the on the cultural thing, and I I think this is a good point, and I'm glad that you're bringing it up from that point of view. I think culturally, I think one thing that we can all agree on is that. Um, this this is heavily focused on increasing female labor labor force participation, and and I think in general that's that's a fine thing insofar as many women want to work. Uh, many women have all kinds of incredible gifts that should be encouraged. Um, I think we can all agree that that barriers to women exercising those things, if that's their choice, those gifts and, and those contributions, should be absolutely removed. And I think that those are all wonderful things. I think what we need to focus on, though, or at least need to be paying attention to, is that a massive investment of scarce uh, fiscal resources towards this particular model is, I think we need to pay attention to how much employers benefit. So what, what we're actually in trying to encourage is incentivizing a system in which parents of all sorts are more present in their workplace than they are with their children. And um, and I don't think that's the, the data, at least the empirical data show that that's not the desire. Um, most Canadian parents aren't necessarily keen to spend more time uh, with their workplace than they are with their children and that there may be other ways to encourage uh, labor force participation by, by women in, in the Canadian economy that don't necessarily uh, direct it all towards the one the one basket that that Andrea is pointing to. That's not the way uh, that's not the way it wants or not what women want. At least that's what the data say. There seems to be much more emphasis on the need for flexibility, creativity in the way that we balance our childcare needs and our family needs and the needs of, of wanting to exercise our vocations. And I think that's what's getting lost as well, that we're sort of moving the whole system in one direction. Um, and I, I just don't see that that is in line with what the empirical research shows. 
Well, neither do I see it as particularly feminist to tell me I have to work full time. Otherwise, I'm not contributing um, as as a person to to our culture's community and our economy. I do have the data point on what mothers prefer. 20% prefer working full time, 60% uh, work part time and 20% would prefer to be home um, full time. So there's 80% of mothers who would rather not be working full time. And to me, that makes intuitive sense. And we, we ought to be listening to that and honoring the care work, particularly of mothers and fathers, but also their extended family um, and valuing that for what it is, which is also childcare. Sure. And Andrea, in your earlier comment, you said you hinted a little bit about what the outcomes have been for kids in terms of developmental outcomes, behavioral outcomes from now years of experience with Quebec's um, system, universal system. Can you unpack that just a little bit? Because I know there have been some there's been some extensive study of it. Yeah, I can. I'd also like just briefly to return to um, the feminist arg argument. And I, I find it slightly patronizing that we focus our attentions on the mothers of young children. That's that's where this is going to start. The system is going to start building for kids six and under. I'm confident of that. And I, I find it insulting that we focus on mothers of young children as being the key new contributors to the economy when they have so much um, work on their plates already. I mean, Brian would probably know this better than me, but I'm not under the impression that we have full labor force participation from single young men, for example. So it seems to me that we're really causing, um, I think you're telling mothers what they ought to be doing and not valuing what they want to do. And I just find that to be a counter feminist article, um, argument, sorry. But um, yeah, on the child outcomes, I was just talking to a scholar who has extensively researched this yesterday, and uh, he was reminding me of the poor outcomes in basically social behaviors. So um, that you you see a rise in antisocial behaviors coming out of the Quebec program in particular. Um, you've seen some cognitive benefits out of um, child care in Quebec, I believe, uh, but those don't necessarily hold into the um, older years for children becoming teenagers. Uh, we do have 20 years of research and so um, people can check out those studies for themselves and I think that they are very important when we consider the climate in which our kids are going to be going to school. Um, there's like like I said some advantage to targeted intervent interventions for children who most need it but that's not the bulk, thankfully, of the Canadian population who would be better off in their current uh, care environments. However, those are pieced together, um, involving likely more time with mom and dad. That's another aspect of the quality um, argument, by the way, is not just the quality of care that you get when you're in care, but how much time do small children spend in care? And in Quebec, children are spending more time than ever before in care. And it wouldn't matter if that care were 100% top-notch quality if the time were increased at those young ages. I think that the idea of national daycare really kind of takes child development in the early years and turns it on its head for what is important for children to um, learn and absorb in those very early years. I, I want to shift a little bit to charities now because th there was talk of charities in the federal budget, but I know, Brian, you've been leading Cardis's participation in the Canada Cares Coalition. 
and Cardis and Canada Cares, with 150 or so uh, charities across Canada, have been hoping for a dollar-for-dollar donation uh, matching program, at least a temporary one, to spur those donations for charities that have been hurting. We didn't see it in the budget, and that that doesn't bode well for the sector, does it? No, it doesn't. Uh, what's striking is that the the budget um, acknowledges that the, the sector has lost about $1.3 billion um, in revenues. Um, that may be underselling it, actually. There's a recent report coming out from uh, Canada Helps today that looked at the donations uh, from Canadians across the board, and those are down significantly. So there's an acknowledged loss of $1.3 billion, and the government um, could have very easily, um, as we were suggesting uh, with Canada Cares, um, uh, more than doubled that uh, in terms of the incentives. So what we we're asking for was for the Canadian government to take money that they had already budgeted. So remember, every year the Canadian government budgets money to be given back to people who give to to, to charity. So if you give $100 to a charity, you get 29 of those dollars back in a tax refund. The government budgeted $3 billion for that last year in 2020. Um, they acknowledge that they're not likely to get that. What we are saying is, Take that money and give it dollar for dollar so that any money that was given by a Canadian donor to a charity would be doubled. Um, they didn't do that. And it, it strikes me as strange, particularly given Minister Freeland's um, encouragement for Canadians to unleash uh, what she called this sort of preloaded stimulus. This was the best way, the most effective way to unleash that money and in a way that helped the most vulnerable, which is precisely what she was looking for. And there's there's just nothing there in the budget at all. Um, what was there is an undisclosed sort of to-be-determined uh, program that talks about moderniz modernization and adaption, which, let's be honest, will will probably go to charities that have the best lobbyists uh, and the best um, a means of connecting with, with, with people in government. And that's precisely what we were saying shouldn't happen. We were saying it should be widespread and it should go to the charities that need it most. And um, and that just wasn't there. It's a, it's a huge missed opportunity. It's a huge missed opportunity to um, help charities that um, that get hit hardest by shocks. Uh, we saw this in 2008, that the amount of donations went down and it didn't recover for five years. So what we're talking about is extending the challenges that charities are facing right now for five years. And it's just a huge missed opportunity, in my opinion. It also is, I think what I find interesting is when you, when you have a donation matching program, the government only matches what Canadians themselves donate to. The individual donor in that case is in the lead yeah. and sets the priority that this charity matters to me or to my community, and therefore it gets my support. Whereas without that, government calls the shots, essentially. Canadians don't get to. Yeah, exactly. And and not only that, but the, the odds are that it's most likely to go to the charity that has the best uh, the best connections with the government. That's exactly right. And and I, I just want to say, again, uh, we talked a little bit about what the government says and what what it wants. And, and one of the things that this government has explicitly said is that it wants to help underprivileged groups and groups that have have typically not been able to access some of this stuff. So so groups that are focused on on racial reconciliation or on feminist issues. And what's interesting is that if you look at the data on that, the charities that deal with those issues are disproportionately reliant upon donations. And so um, those those charities, they would have met their goal better if they had 
um, provided matching donations. Those those charities that are that are um, I think I think if I'm not mistaken, seventy reliant for seventy five percent of their revenue on donations. They would have had a disproportionate benefit if they had relied on a matching initiative rather than on on throwing a, a money towards. Um, it's what they call adaptation and modernization, which we don't know about, by the way. Um, we asked in the technical briefing what the criteria were for that, what the qualification criteria were for that. The government doesn't know yet. Um, uh, I don't think it has that. It's sort of to be determined in the future. Um, and again, it's a missed opportunity to achieve even their own self-identified uh, goals. I think it's just it's just too bad. I, I think um, the minister Hussein, who was involved with this, he did a lot of uh, a lot of great work um, pushing this forward. And I just for for whatever reason, I don't think it made it in uh, from the center. And I and I think that's again loss for the government to to uh, bolster and support a sector that it said was important. Um, but then when you look in terms of what it actually did for it, there was there was almost nothing there. There, there might be a little bit of a link between the charity discussion and the childcare discussion, which is that there's certain things that the federal government ought not be doing and simply empowering civil society to do. And the federal government cannot do as good a job at childcare as families can or as civil society entities can, and they can't do as good a job in charities. And in, in both these cases, it seems to me that we're seeing a thinning of our communities and a hollowing out as the federal government grows um, in its positioning and power. So that's part of my concern on the childcare front is that we want to have really embedded communities where we know our neighbors and we do rely on people who we know and are right around us um, for help and support with our families. And we want to be able to rely in times of need on some form of local charity and we want those um, civil society factors to be strong. And a basic concern I have on national child care is that it helps to hollow out those things that make our communities really strong. Yeah, I've said that too. I, I think that's a good good insight, Andrea. I've said that this is their approach is technocratic and corporatist rather than liberal um, or pluralist. And and what I mean by that is there's this assumption that certain technocratic moves at at the center can actually. Um, uh, achieve the goals that they want, and I, and I don't think that that's true. One of the the questions in in um, the the childcare thing, one of the things people continually say is that there's a market failure in that the parent doesn't necessarily know the quality of the childcare um, that they're getting, and the best way to achieve that is to is to put a license on it. Now, my question to that is that that's a technocratic response to the uh, a concern that's real, like you want to know the quality of your child care. But who is best suited to know that? The parents um, who are making choices. So let's take an example from my own family. Um, we, we have four children, Nicole and I have four children, and we used the full panoply of care when <laughs> over the over the years. My, my children are old enough to the point now that they can actually take care of themselves, or at least the older ones can take care of the younger ones. But throughout the sort of their, their younger years, we used family care, we used our neighbors, uh, we used uh, friends from our church, from our school. And in each of those situations, we knew the quality because we knew the person who was providing it. That knowledge is organic, it's embedded within the community, and it's far sharper and far better than anything that could come just from a license. And I think that the, the, the real binary uh, here is that the government thinks licensed equals good and non-licensed equals bad, whereas I think there's actually a far richer, more organic understanding of the way parents understand quality 
Um, and I and I honestly think that gets missed. And and I think that that Andrea's point there is is critical to the way government should be relating to civil society. Well, thank you, thank you to you both. I think you've both raised some very interesting points, and I I do want to underline one thing, and that is that the whole point, maybe not the whole point, but one of the big driving motivations for the long way is to have conversations, thoughts, explorations, considerations of ideas that they do get lost in sort of the regular rigmarole of the media. And the type of conversation that we've heard here is the type of thing that you will typically not hear in in most media outlets. And I don't necessarily mean that to dump on on other media, but it is really just to underline that there's a gap. And I hope we've we've been able to fill that gap in some way on two very critical issues on a very important document that's going to have some uh, long-term implications financially. We didn't even touch on deficits and debts uh, <laughs> for Canada for a, for a very long time. So thank mm-hmm. you to you both. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Daniel. Okay, let me ask you, what do you think of the federal budget? Is it really feminist? What do you think of the charity provisions that are contained in that budget? Or are there other parts of the budget that have struck you? Write to me at media at cardis.ca. I would love to hear from you. And as I've done before, I may even read out some of those emails in a future episode. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave a comment on this episode wherever you are listening. Just takes a moment. And remember, to coin a phrase of sorts from The Princess Bride for younger listeners, when I was your age, podcasts were called talk radio. I'm Daniel Prusilides. Thanks for listening.